Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello and welcome to Fun Kids Bookworms. My name is Bex and oh my goodness, have we got a show for you this week? Have we got a show for you this week? Oh no, we do, we do, okay. We are going to be chatting to Anthony Horowitz about his brand new book in the Diamond Brothers series. We hear from James Acaster, who is doing something very exciting indeed. And we've also got lots of brilliant news for you about the current book world. All right then, I don't even know where to begin with this podcast. We have packed in lots and lots of stuff. So let's check out Anthony Horowitz first. He's going to be telling us all about his brand new book, Where Seagulls Dare. I am joined right now by the power of Zoom by amazing author Anthony Horowitz. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, Bex. How are you today? I am very good because I just finished reading your book and I had a lovely old time. So thank you for that. Um, We're talking about the Diamond Brothers, is that right? Where Seagulls Dare. Where Seagulls Dare, indeed. And it is, first of all, I mean, you know this already. It's really funny. It really made me laugh. I'll tell you a terrible thing. I shouldn't say this, a confession. It makes me laugh too. I've been reading it this week and some of the jokes, I don't know why, they just make me laugh. Um, but when I think them up, I laugh at the same as well. So it's not just arrogance. I suppose it's just um, just enjoying making jokes. I think it has to pass a test in your head. And it's like, if it makes you laugh, it will make other people laugh. And you've certainly passed all of the tests. I'm so pleased to hear it. The bit that made me laugh out loud the most was when, this doesn't spoil anything, uh, a man had love, uh, Vol, sorry, Vol and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Is that because it's a mistake? No, it's because he hates Vols. Yes, I it made me laugh out loud. I loved it. That did make me like, laugh that joke too. I did laugh that joke. I was so impressed. It's kind of like a quick fire humour. There are so many points where I'm like, it's a joke, then a joke, then a joke, then a joke. Do you do you plan that out or is it just does it just come naturally to you? Well, some of the jokes are sort of built in. I mean, I love the fact that Tim Diamond can never get a person's name right. <laughs> so, you know, so when he meets Mrs. Miss Nightingale, um a minute a minute later, she's Miss Nightingale. Yes. And 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 you know, <laughs> Mrs. Hiking Trail. And <laughs> and those just sort of fall into my head as I write them. I think there's a lot of Tim in me. I can never get people's names right. Uh, and I'm always getting people's names. And that's one of the one of the things that uh, that that he that he does. And he has I think has the best jokes in it. There's another one where where Miss Nightingale walks into his office and tells him her name and, and he says, Yeah, my name's on the door. And she's oh yes, nice to meet you, Mr. Office Entrance. <laughs> that made me laugh when I wrote that. No, I shouldn't do this. I'm not being good. I'm going to have to stop this interview and start again because I'm sounding much too blowing my own trumpet. Uh, No, it's stuff to look out for when people read your books. They'll be like, oh, he mentioned that in the interview. I heard him talk about that bit. It's like little Easter eggs. It's great. Don't worry. Um, So I think people will be surprised that you came back to this series because am I right in thinking it was 18 years since you last kind of visited the Diamond Brothers? Look, I was never, I was going to write another Diamond Brothers book. I did have one in my head and it's still in my head. It's called The Radius of the Lost Shark. I've been intending to write this book, which is all about the Spielberg films, because all these books, the Diamond Brothers books, are of course based on famous films. Yeah. So I'm going to do Spielberg, but what happened was that about 18 months ago, in the middle of one of the lockdowns, I just felt so sorry for 
young people, children who weren't able to go to school, weren't able to see their friends. I thought to myself, what can I do to sort of help? And so suddenly it sprung into my head, what I'll do is I'll write a Diamond Brothers book. And I sat down and almost without thinking about it, wrote the first chapter of Where Seagulls Dare. And Unusually for me, I didn't structure it. I didn't really think about the plot. But every week I wrote a chapter of this book and then posted it on the net, on my website for free. And, and that was my contribution to, to, to children's well-being. And then the lockdown ended. I'd done about, I think, eight chapters of it or maybe nine. And um, I put it in the way in a drawer and then thought, well, that's ridiculous. I might as well finish it, uh, which I then did. And, and the result is... I think probably my favourite Diamond Brothers book ever. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love it. And I, I've loved writing it. And, and it's just, you know, I've got it here in front of me. And it's got this gorgeous yellow cover on it. And it just, it's such a sort of, it's such a happy book to hold in my hands. It just, it just feels like it's, it's benign and it's good. Because, of course, COVID is over. And this is, this is something the good that came out of it. Not much did, but this did. This is a wonderful Tony Ross illustration on the cover. You can see Nick Diamond on the left there. Um, and uh, uh, Tony was unable to do the illustrations uh, inside, unfortunately. He was too busy. Yeah, but Mark Beach has done some absolutely brilliant. Uh, I mean, they're just... The illustrations make me laugh as much as, as, much as the text does. You'll recognise this scene where it's still yeah. Gerda. He's falling down on the Diamond Brothers and nearly crushing them. He's just done a great, great job. And I, I want to meet him because uh, I, I am at the very least a drink. So you've never met him before? Mark Beach, I haven't. No, because oh. in fact, Tony was, to, he came in at the very last minute because Tony was either indisposed or too busy to actually do the illustrations, having done the cover. So Mark came in and just has picked up the, um, you know, picked up the sword and, and, and run with it, the battle, I should say, and run with it. And, um, and has done just this wonderful job. So I'm very, very happy with the book as a whole. So you mentioned when you wrote the book, you kind of didn't plan it. You kind of just put it out there and saw what happened. Does that, do you think, is that going to change the way that you write next books that you're doing? Do you think you're going to have a bit more kind of like freedom with it or will you, will you be happy to go back to a more planning state of point? I think I'm going to stick to the way I know best, which is to structure and to think about things quite carefully. You know, I'm writing a lot of adult whodunits at the moment and murder mysteries that really require enormous thought before I can sit down and write them. For me, anyway, I know there are writers who can manage without. But And, and even my children's books, my Alex Ryder books or whatever, tend to be very carefully, you know, planned before I write them. And, and this one it sort of quite surprised me that it actually worked in the end, that when I got to the end, there was a coherent story there with twists and turns, a secret villain and all the rest of it, um, and, and that it all sort of just made sense. But then again, I did have the film where Eagles Dare, of course, is the original film that it's based on, and the story of that is, if you like, a sort of a... It's, it's a, a plan for this book, at least. It's sort of an outline. It is funny. My, so a couple of years ago, my auntie gave me a copy of The Diamond Brothers, um, so I told her today I was interviewing you and I saw the book's called uh, When Seagulls Dare and she was like, Beck, I think you mean eagles. Uh, you better get it right. And I was like, no, really, it's seagulls. She had no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, you can wave it at her one day and say, here it is. But uh, it, it's, um, I, love, I, I have to tell you that revisiting the Diamond Brothers and discovering them again reminded me what a pleasure it's always been writing about them. You know, Alex Ryder are the books that I'm best known for and, and the books that have sold the most copies. But I think well, the Diamonds are quite special in their own way. They are a real, you know, comedy act, you know, a more common wise of, 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 of detective fiction. And, um, and I, I love both of them equally. You know, I always say that the two characters were sort of based on me. Tim, who is sort of so dim and so helpless and never gets anything right, is me as I am. And Nick Diamond, who is smart and clever and fast on his feet and, and always 
is wins is me as I wish I was. So the two of them are sort of two sides of me. Oh, we all wish we were Nick. Let's face it. He's a clever kid, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. He does. Well, he manages to survive all these books, all these adventures, and he's still getting it always right. But that, but the thing about that I noticed writing this book, and maybe it's just that I'm older now, as you say, it's been a long time since I wrote the last one, is that there's an actual genuine affection between the two brothers, which I hadn't noticed before, because Tim is so impossibly stupid, and Nick is always having to save him from another scrape. And yet there is between the two of them a sort of an unspoken love almost, uh, which, which I sort of just felt as I was writing it. I picked up on that, actually. There's a bit near the end when I was like, oh, they're really sweet with each other and Nick is very protective of Tim and vice versa I thought that's absolutely right it's, I guess it's just me mellowing with age that, that I've, I've become, that the, the relationship is less spiky mm-hmm. than perhaps it was in some of the earlier books now I also have to point out like, you've pointed out the picture there of the kind of the falling girders and stuff there are some brilliant set pieces in the book uh, my favourite well, involves water I don't want to give too much away um, it involves a bit of a water scene was there a moment in the book that you liked writing the most that you kind of didn't know where it was going but you were just like let's just see what wow. happens the, the publishers were quite nervy about that water scene if we were talking about the same one, which involves, I think, a canoe as well. Um, is, is, is that the one? You, oh, no, not that one. You're talking about another one. I yeah. love that sequence, water in an unusual place. Mm. I was thinking that I loved writing the sequence in which they have to row to an island in the middle of the night because that was really like an Alex Ryder book suddenly. The action was quite serious and, you know, the waves are enormous and the night is black and... and you know, there's a lot of hardship there and poor Nick and Tim are having to join a sort of a gang of commandos trying to get to a sort of a, a dangerous island. And I got great pleasure in writing that, although it wasn't really a sort of a, um, you know, what you would call typical Diamond Brothers stuff. I guess the, the, the sequence I most enjoyed writing was the cable car, because in the film where Eagles Dare, the most famous thing in the film is the fact that Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton uh, have to go up and down in a cable car. And there are terrible fights on the cable car and incredible action sequences, which when I saw it, you know, as a teenager, you know, my jaws were dropping. Yeah. Oh, my, no, I only have one jaw. It dropped. <laughs> and um, uh, so writing that sequence took me back to my own childhood. And, and I just thought it was a fun sequence to write. That and the chase on the island afterwards. But, you know, to be honest with you, because of the way I wrote it, you know, I, I would, you know, I don't come to my desk on a Tuesday afternoon and say, right, time for another chapter. What's it going to be about? I just enjoyed writing all of it because I had no idea what was about to come. Because I didn't have a plan, I had no structure, and I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen next. I just sort of made it up as I went along. And so every chapter came as a sort of a nice surprise. I mean, it sounds like you've had nearly as much fun writing it as everybody will do reading it, to be honest. Well, it's so kind of you to say it, Ben, I hope so. I think so. I mean, it was fun to write. There is something great about writing jokes that, you know, you, you can, if you're writing an action sequence, you sort of know the language you're going to use. You know, if it's, it's high up and, you know, the sense of falling and the sense of things are far away and the wind blowing and the sort of language you use is sort of obvious. But if you're doing a comedy book, the jokes sort of come out of the blue. They just sort of suddenly arrive. You know, that that love and hate, vol and hate on the on the people's fingers. When you when I wrote that, I just thought to myself, well he's got a tattoo, what's a tattoo? And then somebody whispers this joke into my ear and I write it down. Very strange. Oh, I mean strange but also pretty handy, I would say. Pretty awesome. Um I know I, I genuinely could talk to you all day, but I'm aware you're, you're a busy man. You've got stuff to do. Before I let you go, uh, you mentioned you had another Diamond Brothers books kind of just in your head, just mulling around. Is that going to see, is that going to come out out of the kind of the, the, the head? Do you reckon you're going to write it out? 
Well, I've always said there would be one more Diamond Brothers book, but now there is, and it's this one. Yeah, you need and another one. I don't know whether I will ever do ra uh, Radius of the Lost Shark. I do have a great story for it. There is already a good story in my head. Uh, it's a mixture of Steven Spielberg and um, and books that I read as, as a sort of quite a young, young reader. Um, and it's set in Australia. Uh, which is, I think, a great setting for the Diamond Brothers because, you know, their parents emigrated to Australia a long time ago. And the book begins with them going to visit their parents in Sydney. Um, and I just sort of have so many ideas for it, but I guess I will have to write it. And this book, Where Seagulls Dare, has taught me that I haven't forgotten how to write jokes. I haven't forgotten how to write about the Diamond Brothers, so I might as well keep going. Hey, look, it's it's a brilliant formula and it's a winning one as well. And um, I'm so glad you came back to them. I really, really am. I think that's such a fun series. Well, I've loved talking to you, Bex. Thank you. And what you've said has really brightened my day. You can't see out the window here, but we are having a storm of biblical proportions oh. in London today. And everything is a little bit gloomy. But this has been a very, very enjoyable and, and, uh, and, and pleasant chat. I am thrilled to hear it. Likewise. Uh, well, thank you so much, Anthony. And hopefully we'll speak to you for many other books to come. And come to Richmond and come and look at my new secret door. <gasps> I will. Oh, my goodness. Don't have to tell me twice. I'll be there. See you there. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. Oh, Anthony Horowitz, one of my faves. Now, this is a bit of a bumper edition of Bookworms podcast because today we're going to be hearing from James Acaster. Him, Ramesh Ranganathan, Lolly Adifope are going to be narrating three brand new audio editions of Roald Dahl's beloved stories, James and the Giant Peach, George's Marvelous Medicine and The Witches. You can get them from the 9th of June. So the new editions are full of all of the imagination and the heart and the humour that you will know and love from the originals, but they've been brought to life by brilliant comedians. So let's find out a little bit about James Acaster's impromptu singing, shall we? Whereupon the centipede, with his mouth full of peach and with juice running down all over his chin, suddenly burst into song. I've eaten many strange and scrumptious dishes in my time, like jelly nets and dandy prats and earwigs cooked in slime. And mice with rice, they're really nice when roasted in their prime. But don't forget to sprinkle them with just a pinch of grime. I've eaten fresh mud burgers by the greatest cooks there are. And scrambled dregs and stink bugs eggs and hornets stewed in tar. And pails of snails and lizards' tails and beetles by the jar. A beetle is improved by just a splash of vinegar. I often eat boiled slobbages, they're grand when served beside. Minced doodle bugs and cabbage slugs. And have you ever tried? Mosquitoes toes and wompfish rose. Most delicately fried. The only trouble is they disagree with my inside. 
A man for crispy wasp stings on a piece of buttered toast. A pickled spines of porcupines and then a gorgeous roast. Of dragon's flesh, well hung, not fresh. It costs a pound at most. And comes to you in barrels if you order it by post. I crave the tasty tentacles of octopi for tea. I like hot dogs. I love hot frogs. And surely you'll agree. A plate of soil with engine's oil. A super recipe. I hardly need to mention that it's practically free. For dinner on my birthday, shall I tell you what I chose? Hot noodles made from poodles on a slice of garden hose. And a rather smelly jelly made of armadillo's toes. The jelly is delicious, but you have to hold your nose. Now comes, the centipede declared, the burden of my speech. These foods are rare, beyond compare. Some are right out of reach. But there's no doubt I'd go without a million plates of each. For one small mite, one tiny bite of this fantastic peach. Okay, let's also check out a segment of the classic story. Almost without knowing what he was doing, as though drawn by some powerful magnet, James Henry Trotter started walking slowly towards the giant peach. He climbed over the fence that surrounded it and stood directly beneath it, staring up at its great bulging sides. He put out a hand and touched it gently with the tip of one finger. It felt soft and warm and slightly furry, like the skin of a baby mouse. He moved a step closer and rubbed his cheek lightly against the soft skin. And then suddenly, while he was doing this, he happened to notice that right beside him and below him, close to the ground, there was a hole in the side of the peach. So before we go, just some time to remind you of the brilliant books around at the moment. The Little Captain by Paul Beagle is out. It's a timeless, enchanting children's fantasy classic by the author of The King of the Copper Mountains. Okay, so one morning in this book, after a fierce storm, the people of the harbour come down to find a strange ship called the Neversink stuck on top of one of the sand dunes. And inside is only a small boy with a big cap, the Little Captain. There's also Zoe and the Forest of Secrets by a Lake Pilgrim. So in the book, when Zoe decides to run away from home, she isn't scared because she knows the island like the back of her hand. But as she journeys through the once familiar forest, terrifying creatures and warped visions begin to emerge. Zoe's got to unravel the secrets of the forest before she's lost forever. So as you can tell, lots of brilliant new books out at the moment, including The Little Captain, Zoe and the Forest of Secrets, the reworkings of the audio versions of Roald Dahl's Amazing Stories and Anthony Horowitz's brand new book, Where Seagulls Dare. That's pretty much it for Bookworms this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please remember to like, subscribe and follow wherever it is you get your podcast from. I'll see you soon. Bye. Hold up. 
Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!